It's lonely at the top is the famous line in Shakespeare's Henry IV. The king had a very challenging reign, and he felt he was alone in his misery. It's lonely at the top speaks to the theory that leaders are not only lonely, they're also isolated, which raises the questions, are they? And if so, where do they find companionship and trust? Executive coach Ron Bremner says, one of the challenges is, as a CEO or executive leader, you can't ponder or wonder or muse about anything with the people who report to you. What you do, say, think, and decide impacts them, and they all want to know you are in control and in charge. Bremner goes on to say, if you appear to be uncertain or inconsistent, your team can lose confidence in you, and that's why you need to find a trusted advisor to work your way through the many challenges you face. I invited Ron Bremner to join me for a conversation that matters about why and how executive coaches play an important role in the lives of leaders. Ron, great to see you. Thanks for joining me. Stu, always good to see you and uh, great to be with you today. Is it really lonely at the top for uh, leaders of organizations and I imagine many politicians as well? Well, getting back to your intro, you know, you're absolutely right. But one of the key things I think I would underline, Stu, in your intro is one of the things, uh, the phrase one of the things, because what you talked about there basically was decisiveness. And if you think about uh, landing on the beaches at Normandy in 1944, I wouldn't want to be a soldier who's coming ashore and a guy out in front says, you know what, I think we should go maybe this way or I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think we should head this way or that way? So absolutely, it, it is lonely at the top today. And probably in the conversations I've had with people, my, my take is it's probably never been as lonely as it is at the top today, Stu. And part of the reason is that organizations don't run today like they ran a generation ago, two generations ago, where people came up through the ranks People were mentored and coached internally. People put, took time grooming people, bringing them along, helping them through situations. There's so much more movement in organizations today. Uh, people aren't around together as long as they were. Organizations cut back, so they're lean at the top. They don't have as many people to sit and talk to people, spend time with them try to help them along with their careers. It's, it's more throwing people into the deep end and sink or swim. And that's one of the reasons that it's very lonely because there's not a lot of support out there. And it's a tough situation for people because they're being thrown and in, thrust into leadership positions when in many cases, most of them would readily admit they're not ready to be leaders. They haven't been groomed to be leaders. They're not even sure what a leader does. <laughs> Or what a leader looks like or what a leader should be doing. So uh, th that's why, you know, unfortunately, while there's a lot of problems in the economy and things are tough in a lot of aspects, uh, in, in a lot of sectors today, Stu, I can honestly tell you from a executive coaching standpoint, it's never been busier. So as an executive coach, are you, are you that confident? Are you, are you part therapist or are you a business uh, consultant? Uh, you know, how do you, you know, divide out what those responsibilities are for you as the coach? 
I think one of the big rules is that people feel like I'm a safe harbor where they can unload, they can tell me about things that they couldn't tell somebody they report to because the person that they report to might see it as a weakness. They might see it as somebody who's, you know, not strong enough to be a leader, maybe somebody who can't take the heat. Uh, but, but the reality is all of us, if we're honest, we have those moments where we just kind of close the door, put our heads in our, put our head in our hands and just wonder what the hell we're doing. Because uh, we all come across challenges that we need help with. Uh, as I like to say to people, I don't know all the answers. In fact, I don't even know all the questions. But working with people, uh, I think, is, uh, is a great opportunity to be able to help them be the best they can be, to help them see themselves as maybe they don't see themselves, and help them see others as they maybe don't see others. So there, there's a lot of factors in it besides that decisiveness that you alluded to in your intro, there's a lot of other factors that go in there to making good leaders. So, do you come in in sort of, I guess, the career path uh, of somebody's life uh, when they're in trouble um, because you're there to help rescue them from having challenges? Or are you finding the majority of your clients are saying, you know, I've moved up into unfamiliar territory and I don't know what to expect and how to plan for it. Um, you know, or is it a combination of the two? I, I get all types too and I've had all situations. I've had, I've had heads of companies that have said to me, Ron, I got a real senior CEO of one of my companies and I, I, need, I need him to be a leader in about six weeks because we got a big board meeting and I got to have him looking like a leader or have her looking like a leader. Can you help me? And I say, sure, let's go down to Rexall and we'll just get some blue leadership pills. And if we take enough of them in the next six weeks, hopefully we can make him or her a leader. Uh, but the reality is I get people who've been fast-tracked and thrown into a position where they need some immediate help and an immediate understanding of what the journey ahead is. I get some people that, quite honestly, uh, companies will phone me and say, you know, this individual does so many things right. They're terrific with the bottom line. They're great strategically. They're a tremendous thinker. They come up with a lot of great innovations. But nobody likes them. Nobody wants to work with them. Nobody trusts them. N nobody believes them. They, they, they just can't get along with people. But I, I think all of those factors, quite frankly, are a big reason that when I start to work with somebody, Stu, my bottom line is it's got to be a minimum 52-week assignment. And the reason that I say that is when I'm working with people, I'm, I'm in many cases, in most cases, trying to be able to change different approaches in their personality, the way they look at people, the way they respect people, the way they think, the way they allocate their time, how they prioritize, how they think. Uh, and people have been thinking that way, acting that way, treating people that way for 25, 35, 40 years. You can't snap your fingers and all of a sudden, after a couple of rah-rah sessions, you know, they go away to a seminar, they come back from a conference and bingo, they're changed, right? It doesn't work. So it's, it's a process. You need to, first of all, engage them. They've got to feel comfortable with you. They've got to believe in you. You've got to have some credibility. You've got to have a track record. 
you've got to be able to show that you understand what the situations are. And then you've got to, over time, you've got to build trust. You know, one of the first things when people uh, ask about working with me, I say to them, I, I want you to talk to a minimum of three, four people before you engage me. Well, why, why won't you just take the business? I said, because I want you to compare what their styles are. I want you to ask them the following four or five questions leading off with, how do you treat confidentiality as an executive coach? Because if I'm working with a, with a coach and, and I'm pouring out my heart to him, the last thing I want is that when that coach and I get off the phone at 3.05, that he's phoning my boss to tell, to tell him exactly what I said during the last hour. Okay? So confidence is a big thing. Trust is a big thing. Credibility is a big thing. So there's a, there's a lot of factors. And, so what are the uh, elements of being a good uh, leader in corporate or workplace environments today? Because you alluded earlier to uh, these interpersonal skills and how important are they? Because there's a lot of people who go, well, hang on a second. I got to get financial results. I got to be able to solve technical problems. Uh, and I got to have the right team in place to be able to do that. But, you know, <laughs> Clearly, it sounds to me that you're saying that's not enough. There's a lot of different things that people need to think about from a leadership standpoint. Obviously, number one is you need to be able to have a vision. You need to be able to have a vision. And it's not so much creating a vision and then getting people to follow you, but rather to join you. And there's a big difference between following you and joining you. You know, when I was in school, my dad used to say I was in the half of the class that made the top half possible, okay? I wasn't the greatest student, all right? But what I, what, I, what I always studied in my career, I was always fascinated with why was it that if you got 15 kids that went down to a park to play baseball, that one or two kids always got picked captain? Why is it if you put... 20 kids on a football field and divided two teams. There was usually two kids that always were captain, and they weren't always the best players, okay? They weren't always the best players, the most gifted athletically, the smartest ones. But a lot of it is being able to sell the vision of where you want to go. I, I was actually doing a, a talk yesterday at University of Guelph where I played football, uh, in 1969 as a quarterback and I was drawing the parallels of being on the football field and and being in the boardroom and when you're quarterbacking in the boardroom the objective and the vision is bottom line results when you're quarterbacking on the field the objective is the end zone and in both cases what's absolutely critical is to have good people around you. You have to have good people around you. You've got to understand and respect that you need a full team around you. And when, when you're in the boardroom, you, you need to have people you can count on, people you can rely on, people you can trust, people who aren't causing more problems than, than solving problems. Okay? And I drew a very simple analogy. Uh, and, and as you remember, uh, I, I was uh, CEO of the Calgary Flames for five years. We we didn't win many games. In fact, we used to have uh, we used to have victory parties when we tied. Okay, uh, but the reality was, every night, from a leadership standpoint, 
I wasn't just looking for a big game from Theo Fleury or Joe Morginla. I needed a big game from Ed in the parking lot, from Jimmy who was making popcorn, from Louise in the coat check, from Ernie who was cleaning the washrooms, from, from Tom who was pouring the beer, okay? Because even if we won 3-2, and believe me, most nights we weren't going to win, okay? If people got rude treatment in the parking lot, if they didn't get good service at the coat check, if the beer was warm and the hot dogs were cold and the washrooms weren't clean, the phone calls I got the next day weren't about the fact that we won. It was about the fact that they didn't get value for their money. Okay, So a leader needs to be able to put good people around him so that he or she can depend on them, count on them. Uh, you know yourself as somebody who was out on the street gathering news, and I use this analogy all the time, Stu, and I think you'll relate to it, is that when you're out there gathering news, you rely on a lot of people. You rely on a lot of people to be able to help you. You know, the person is setting up the satellite truck if things aren't right, if, if the mechanics aren't right, and if, if, if the logistics aren't set up right. All the hard work you do setting up the interview doesn't work. Uh, you could have, you know, back in our day, Tony Parsons and, and, and Pamela Martin doing the news, but if whoever's doing the makeup doesn't do a good job, they don't look so good. Okay. So, number one, you need to have a vision. You need to be able to surround yourself with good people. You need to be decisive. In other words, you, you can't be flip-flopping around all the time. As I always encourage people, make a decision. You're not always going to be right. But but you need to make decisions. That's part of part part of it. Okay, you need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to understand people, and you need to have people understand you. I'm a great believer in telling stories. You know, in terms of trying to explain to people simple concepts uh, about things. When I'm when I'm working for, I'll give you I'll give you an example. When I'm working with a lot of executives, one of the biggest things that executives really struggle with today, especially entrepreneurs, is getting down in the weeds too much, getting in the way of their people, micromanaging, we call it, okay? And one of the analogies that I give them is simple. I tell them, your job is to be like the captain on the boat. You're not there to row the boat. You're there to steer the boat. And if the captain of the boat is continually running down to the engine room, to figure out what kind of oil they're using, then running back up to the bridge and then down to the lunchroom to figure out what kind of soup they're serving at lunch, and then back up to the bridge and then down to talk about what music they're playing when, when the dancing starts tonight. They're not, they're not doing what they need to be doing. They need to be focusing on priorities, okay? Okay, so Ron, uh, so much of what you're talking about is when things are going well. What, what role does a leader have to take when things aren't going so well or some of your team have done things that have created open uh, aggravation? And I'm thinking about one time back when you were uh, president out of BCTV, uh, all these unions showed up because they were unhappy about the way that uh, coverage was. You know, you could have done like our prime minister did when the uh, truck convoy went to Ottawa. You could have hid in your office, but you didn't do that. You went out and you met with them. Well, how that's important is, how story. important is it, that to do? <laughs> well, it, it's it's important, and, and, and I'll give you the quick recap on that story because I, I, I was telling somebody that story last week, as a matter of fact. 
just because uh, they had asked about something that, that related to that. And I said, one afternoon about three, no, it was about, about one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon, Stan Blackwood, my operations guy, came in and he said, Ron, we got a real problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, I just got a call from a contact at the ferry terminal over on the island, and we got three or four busloads of union people that are coming to picket BCTV. And he said, they're going to cause a big stink, and they're calling all the other TV stations and radio stations for coverage, and this is not good. Like, what do you want to do? And I looked at him, and when I gave him my answer, his jaw just about dropped. I said, the first thing you want you to do is uh, I, I want you to go down and see Thompson in promotion, and I want you to get a big table, and I want you to get a big sign made that says BCTV welcomes international pa paper workers, okay? Uh, and then the second thing I want you to do is get somebody over to Tim Hortons and buy a lot of donuts and coffee. He said, no, no, I'm serious. I said, so am I. I'm absolutely serious. So he said, are you sure? I said, yeah. So, so that's what we did. We had a big sign. We had the donuts and coffee. And when those four busloads of uh, pulp and paper workers pulled into BCTV, they scrambled off the bus, and where do you think they had it? Right for the donuts and coffee, okay? And they saw the sign, welcome. Now, we had a security guy at BCTV, as you remember, named Ozzy Caban. Big guy, he used to look after a lot of the Hollywood stars who came to town. And I went to the front door when the buses arrived, and he said, Ron, I want you to stay away from these guys because there's a lot of big guys there. And, and these guys were big, like, you know, their wrists were about as big as my thighs. And they're over there in the corner of the parking lot. I said, I'm going over to talk to them. He said, no, no, I don't think you should go over to talk to him. I said, look, I'm going over to talk to him. So I waded into the middle of these guys. There must have been about, I'd say, 80, 90 of them. And I said, guys, uh, I'm Ron Bremner, president of BCTV. I want to welcome you to BCTV. I said, first of all, before I hear anything from you, I want you to know my dad was local 707, United Auto Workers, union work, put food on our table, all my life growing up as a kid, okay? So I understand how hard you work and I appreciate how hard you work. So I said, now what's the problem here? One big guy yells out, well, you guys are unfair. You're running stories that aren't right, big, big, big. So I said, well, look, there's about 90 of you guys here and there's one of me. And I said, I can't listen to all of you. So I'm gonna just tell you this. How would you feel if three of you, you pick out which three, meet me at the front door in 10 minutes, and we're going to go into my office and we're going to meet with the news director, Keith Bradbury, and we're going to have a meeting. How would, do you think that's fair? They looked and they said, that sounds reasonable. I said, okay, so we got a deal? He said, yeah. So I said, meet me at the front door in 10 minutes. And we we said to them at the end, I said, Keith, what do you think? Are, are you, do you hear what they're saying? I said, here, what do you think they're saying? And he, and he fed back and he said, I, I think we need to do some stories that represent the other side of the story. We gotta hear the other side of the equation. So I said to them, how would you guys feel? Would you think it was fair if we ran a little series of programs giving your side of some of the things that we've been covering? So within 45 minutes, we had a deal. They were happy. You, you know, I, I'd like to tell you it was strategic and I'd like to tell you that I sat down and thought about this for a long time, but it was just instinctive.
So I can see, Ron, why you say uh, this has to be a minimum of a one-year engagement for you to be able to work your way through complex situations and uh, attitudes and ways of dealing with people. It's, uh, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all, as you said. It, it has to be a developed relationship and, of course, a trusted one. Right, and and the reason the reason I f I found this out over a period of time, Stu, I just didn't wake up one night and say this has got to be a year long. The reality is, in working with people over a period of time, you come to the realization that once you build that trust, once they buy into trusting you, liking you, believing you, and willing to try some of the things that you're asking them to do, and they're not easy sometimes. Okay, they're not easy. It takes you three, four months to get them to neutral. Never mind moving forward, J just to get to, to, to negate some of those old tendencies, all right? You know, one of the biggest things, if I can just mention too, that people struggle with is difficult discussions. That they shy away from having those difficult discussions with staff members and people that they know they should have had a talk with them five years ago. 10 years ago, five months ago, whatever. But they've always put it off. They've always put it off. And I've gone into companies where I've inherited these these people, okay, that, that somebody should have talked to them. Uh, I remember going into one company, and, and uh, they asked me to go in and change it around and fix it. And I called the chairman about a week after I got there, and I said, you don't need me here. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I just took all the employment files home over the weekend. I read every single employment file, 255 employees. Every employee is graded as if they were Wayne Gretzky. You got no problem. Because most of the time, people are very reluctant to have those difficult discussions with people. And those difficult discussions, as I tell them and talk to them, it's they're not like red wine. They don't get better the longer you leave them, okay? You need to face them, have them, talk about things, and develop a, a, a situation and, and a plan to, to, to move forward, okay? Yeah. Well, thank you, Ron, for giving us a bit of insight into what it means to be an executive coach. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Stu, it's always good to be with you.